This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm the guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've uh, spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, uh, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle please get in touch with us on our facebook page follow us like us whatever it takes we would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as i know this industry is capable of morning doc how are you doing hey gordon i'm okay yourself not too bad. I see we're all uh, get up with our winter jerseys, and uh, your hairstyle hasn't improved much since last week. You've, you've obviously resisted the temptation to be a criminal. No, Gordon, you know, you're trying to be a moderate and a, and a good citizen. So, uh, yeah, you know, um, we got a, a, the sort of wild and woolly look. But as you say, we've certainly got our jerseys and scarves on today. It's pretty, pretty cold in Johannesburg. Yeah. Indeed, it is. Well, I mean, he's not in Johannesburg, but we do have with us from the peril. Uh, Franklin Hayes Franklin is, is an old colleague of mine and uh, he's here today um, as uh, in his capacity as an, an advisor to the National Community Radio Forum NCRF but Franklin also has um, a big stake in the in the community radio industry himself through his company Audio Monitor and Comradio so he's involved we'll talk a bit about uh, you know Audio Monitor and some of their amazing developments along uh, the lines of universal access to to studios, but Franklin, welcome from Deparel. Are you actually in the office, or are you just cycling around on your mountain bike again? <laughs> it's so beautiful. I'm so tempted uh, to take an early morning, but now I'm going to do an afternoon today, Gordon. Good day, and thank you very much, and uh, good day to your listeners. And yeah, home office, uh, Gordon. Home office, yes. Now, that's the word I was looking for, not bicycle. Quite right. Thank you for correcting me. Franklin, let's just take a step back um, and talk a little bit. I mean, last week we talked to the MDDA, the Media Diversity uh, Operation, and uh, just take us back. What What is the role of the NCRF? What is the National Community Radio Forum? Where does it fit in under the overall MDDA mandate? Okay, um, actually, it's it's a chicken and egg situation, Gordon, because actually it was first the NCRF and then the MDDAs. But let me go back very briefly. Um, the community radio sector started off um, 
mid 80s uh, early 80s mid 80s um, when civil society in south africa um, that's covet open window project um, came together with some other civil society organizations and they congregated in the netherlands they had a conference jabalani of the airways and there a mandate was crafted a vision was crafted to establish a third tier of broadcasting um as a you know as a as an initiative by these uh, civil society organizations and so they drafted that vision and that became the lobby uh and advocacy um mandate that they had coming back into um codessa they then started to influence those talks and it was uh, uh promulgated into an act later on i'm cutting this i'm doing shortcuts here but promulgated into the IBA Act, the Independent Broadcast Authority Act. So so that's the start of the community radio sector officially, but unofficially there were uh, community radios before that um, through the Department of Home Affairs. Um, I think it was Anacom. They issued some community radio licenses, Radio Pretoria, and there were some pirate ones. In the Western Cape, we had Zubinelli that started as a health pilot pirate radio we had a, a few in south africa and uh, when the promulgation came in um, in the 80s uh, i think 85 with the uh, um, icasa act the iba act sorry um, uh, then it was formalized so interest started um, around about that time and uh, it was started in soweto and the purpose for interest is really was to assist communities to establish community radio stations um, throughout South Africa. So it's a national organization and they structured themselves into provincial structures. So you would have a NCRF Northern Cape, NCRF Western Cape, um, NCRF Eastern Cape, um, Limpopo um, and so on. So the NCRF's mandate really is to advocate and lobby for um, conducive environment for community broadcasters in South Africa. And that's an interesting uh, intro for me because, I mean, I think it's good that you've corrected me. I kind of didn't realize that you know, the NCRF had been around that long and I suppose grew in, in some respects out of even protest radio if we go back to the, you know, to the 80s and, and, and 90s. But ha- has there been any progress? I mean, you know, the number of community stations uh, has obviously blossomed, but as as a as an offering you know a commercial offering to to the advertising industry has there been any real genuine progress um, for community radio stations and and if not what what's the barrier um interesting question gordon you know what um when you look at community radio if they command quite a big share of audience um and that's another story in terms of the measurement of that audience but at the moment um it looks like about a third of the um, electronic media audiences listeners people that listen to community radio is about 10 million on average um throughout south africa uh, that's a cumulative one week rating so so um that being said you would not find the same you know the same um uh, uh, mathematics when you come to the market and the share of the market so so community radio at the moment uh is struggling to get that share i think they barely at two percent of the of the of the big mar- uh, um, broadcasting advertising share and the reasons for that you ask why 
um, is that, you know, the sector, firstly, number one, doesn't do their own. They don't have a trustworthy um, audience measurement um, partner uh, or service provider. So they have to make do with what commercial is doing. And it's being hard. They are being underdone here. They are being... They are being they are being uh, crippled by the the methodology used to to measure, and so and so the market has never been uh, very uh, interested in in the community radio sector for several reasons. The community radio sector cannot provide them with the securities the market need. One of that is proof of airplay. Two is just uh, professional conduct uh, in terms of it, it, its administration. You you can. You can appreciate if you have about 300 community radio stations um, owned by non-structures, you would find that you know you you have such a diverse governance and a professional uh, code or ethic that that you would find because you just can't um, you can't bring that under one umbrella in if, if the ownership is 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 located within different communities. So. So, so the professionalism, the lack of professionalism, and then the challenge with governance and compliance. About a year ago, ICASA closed down about 29 stations. Um, and so, you know, the reason why was that statistic in terms of compliance is just very bad. I mean, you would find about 50 plus percent of community radio stations are in non-compliance in some sorts. Um, maybe not full, but definitely not uh, satisfying ICASA. So the role of NCRF would then be to create that conducive environment, uh, provide support in terms of capacity building, but also um, to, pro to do some advocacy and lobby work um, to secure the resources to reach those, uh, um, those radio stations that in some cases is in very rural locations. And uh, Franklin, Doug, yeah, just to, and to that point, I mean, just talk a little bit about some of the progress that you've made and if that's the mandate. I mean, 50% non-compliance, I mean, that's, a, that's quite a high number, you know. So certainly as an, as an advertiser, you know, I'd want uh, a lot more security that, uh, you know, that, that things are working in the proper way. So if you could just run us through some of the initiatives that you currently got in play. Okay, so so Doug is an, I'm an advisor to NCRF. So what it, NCRF has done um, recently was to collect data from its member stations in terms of that status, the compliance status, so that they can, from their side, you know, get information to to assess um, what is the biggest challenges. And and so you've seen that in the Northern Cape, for instance, we've started with, um, and I facilitated that pro process through through my company, Com Radio. We've we've done uh, strategic planning and we've done some 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 um, surveys within uh, the eight community radio stations. Nice small sample there, and so we've we've been able to start drafting codes of good practice uh, for these stations, um, and we've uh, started to align the the memorandum of incorporations uh, and constitutions of these stations, um, and then drafted almost like a performance manual. Um, that would then assist these stations to follow a specific uh, modus operandi when it comes to the day-to-day -day operations and compliance of the stations. So, so there's been efforts, um, and we are at the moment through NCRF. Um, we are, we have been in discussions. We've developed a discussion document for the Department of Communications as well as the Minister in the Presidency. Uh, Jackson Tembo. So we've submitted that in November last year, 
Um, so that discussion document actually highlights the plight and the kind of challenges. And so it, it proposes a way forward in terms of an integrated approach to start solving these challenges. Franklin, what, when you talk about compliance, I mean, in my simplistic view of the world, I mean, you switch on, you broadcast for X number of hours, you switch off. What are the issues of compliance? Is it your mandate is to be a Christian or a Muslim station or it is a what, yeah. whatever your broadcast mandate is or it's a music station, but you're doing talk? What are the key issues around yeah. compliance? It's a great question. Um, community radio is, a, is the third tier. So um, the guideline that you would generally go by is that it's radio for the people, by the people. So some of these stations are interest stations, like you just said, religion, around religion, around music. And the others are geographically founded, which just cover a specific geographic footprint. And then they've got license conditions, um, promise to performance, they call it generally. And this would then identify the kind of things that you should do. So some of those things that you refer to in terms of compliance is the normal generic uh, statutory compliance issues, meaning your tech stuff must be in order and your governance stuff in terms of people on your boards must be registered and you must have your AGMs and you must... Um, you know, all of those. The challenge, however, is that some stations had, when they registered, had government uh, officials that, 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 that was part of, of, of those governance structures, boards. And when you come to compliance, uh, CSD compliance, then those stations will be kicked out. They will not be eligible for compliance because of government um, uh, officials' uh, uh, office bearers that might be involved at the station in terms of its governance structure. So that's the one. The other one would be your statutory compliance measures, which this um, one is also ICASA. ICASA wants stations to submit to them uh, on a on a monthly basis reports on content that they broadcast. There are quotas that they need to meet, um, and then. You also have um, some community participation uh, mechanisms that these stations need need to implement. So what I'm doing is also through my company, Com Radio, we provide that kind of support service. We've been longstanding uh, service provider to Josie FM, and we've been doing community participation twice a year. You know, getting stations together. It's almost like those marketing meetings that you would have within commercial radio. So you look at the interests uh, uh, of, of of communities, so they will come together and tell us what kind of program content they need. That's part of the compliance ICASA wants to see. They want to see that, that those engagements happened and they want to see it, uh, attendance registers and minutes of those sessions and how those decisions get filtered into the program planning of stations. So, um, so I think those are generic ones. Uh, specific compliance is, for instance, uh, you know, roles between boards and management, where you would find some stations, boards overreach and become much more, in, uh, uh, you know, uh, involved in the management day to day of the stations. And that is not allowed. The new regulation came out last year in May, uh, broadcast uh, this community broadcast, sound broadcast regulations of ICASA clearly stipulates, you know, the, the, the differentiation between the roles of boards and management. So those things, when they that is violated, the CASA pick them up because complaints come from communities, from stations, and they would then start acting on that. And that's what happened when the 29 stations were closed. So, so when you come back to the market, um, um, Gordon, obviously those guarantees that I spoke about earlier is, for instance, that you want to see 
that there's at least basic professionalism in terms of um, engagement through your invoicing and your administration, as well as the proof of airplay. So that should be audited. So at this, at this stage, Community Radio doesn't have the capacity to provide that independent audit reports of what went out on air. What they do provide is a written uh, confirmation that it went out. And, and in some instances, the market is just not happy with that. So, I mean, it's compliance right across the board then. Um, just to change tack slightly, I mean, you mentioned two critical things. One is uh, an underread. I think you, you've mentioned slightly undercooked. I think you're being polite. I think, you know, the, the commercial stations have a, have a measure, the, the radio diary measure, Ram's diary, which really does not serve the need of community radios. I mean, I think they are massively underreported rather than slightly undercooked. And yet around the world in in other emerging markets like Malaysia, Indonesia, um, even places like India, we're seeing alternative um, audience measurements like passive meters or even portable passive meters which are designed to pick up community stations. Is there any sort of thought process along the lines um, in terms of creating a separate measure for community radio stations? This is something I've raised with the MDDA last week. It is definitely um, the, the future, Gordon, but at the moment um, it's, it's non-existent. There's uh, um, efforts uh, within the sector by private sector that uh, has come forward to, to start these initiatives. Um, the discussions with MDDA, the Department of Communications, even GCA is, is very much interested to use that. So there's definitely efforts at this stage, but it's very early days, uh, but we're still excited because of this whole focus on technology and how this crisis, this pandemic has actually pushed us and just uh, gave us a nudge, you know, forward into in, in, into that direction. I think, Gordon, I mean, just following on from, from that, I think, you know, one of the upsides, I guess, from, from the pandemic is is the accelerated move into, into a different way of, of working. Frankly, just let's talk a little bit about, um, I think you've highlighted some of the the goods and and, and bad parts of, um, of of community radio. Just talk about COVID at the moment. How's that affected your stations across the board? You're listening to the Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media. You know what, Doc? We've 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 had a we've had a bad experience, a bad start in terms of. In terms of that, because we were not ready, we were not ready in terms of the support that we could offer stations. And when I say we, it's not just NCRF, but also, you know, MDA, um, government itself. But I think that that actually, uh, uh, again, it, it's just it just accelerated the kind of thinking around it. And MDA mustered some funds and they made available a, an emergency fund. NCRF was very much in the thick of things in terms of the uh, lobbying for that. So there was quite good collaboration there and I must give uh, credit there. And so that fund was uh, was initiated and the money was paid out very quickly. The first reports has, came, has, has come in already. And so we, we, we have now received the second tranche of that to, to community radio stations. On the other end, from an operational point of view, stations obviously um, had to uh, adjust in terms of the lockdown rules, but I think we, we did well in terms of that. Um, technology came into play as well with people having to record most of the shows and have to do online and, you know, kind of uh, 
uh, tech uh, um, apps, use tech apps to do interviews. But that did happen, and 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 it opened up an opportunity for us to start looking into into a, a new type of future for the sector. So so COVID was not that bad from that point of view, but from a from an earning point of view, it's been it's been extremely bad. It's it's a, it's a catastrophe. So so there's just no income. Yeah. Um, stations are, you know, I spoke to Josie the other day, but they very advantageous because advantaged in this in this sense because they they don't really see the effects of COVID in terms of their income uh, from a sales perspective. But you must also see that from Josie's perspective, they do. I think 80% of their sales is is through agencies and only 20% is local. Whereas with most stations, that's the other the other way around. Mm. I was going to ask. I mean, I think one of the one of the issues many people are asking, and, and certainly we've addressed it on the show in the past, is the economic effect and, and long term effect. So, in terms of your stations, I mean, are all your stations going to make it? Uh, and I, I look particularly at some of the smaller stations, uh, smaller community stations. No, Gordon. We we already had some uh, some of the stations closed closed down already. Um, so there's been there's been a few stations that that just couldn't make it to, um, at this stage. Um, so so no, we are preparing for that. Um, we we will have places where where stations just can't keep the doors open. But I think the nature of the st- of community radio in general was is the resilience because mostly it work on this volunteer principle. So. So people are still willing to, you know, give more of themselves for the better, for the good of uh, of the community. So, so that resilience is still there, and and it assists because I think the the positive within this negative is the fact that these stations don't have investors that they need to necessarily pay back. Um, so yes, there's a there's a lack of income in terms of the support of staff, but um, through you know means like what MDDA provided. It definitely assists uh, stations to at least provide those few volunteers with a kind of stipends. Now, this is not the future that we want. Um, we want to go into a more professional era. So, in terms of the future, we're looking at providing uh, support. And here, it's 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 I'm I'm talking to to Gordon in his other capacity as well um, to assist us with strategizing and and start developing strategies. To, to assist this, the the sector to come out of this more uh, positively than than negatively. Yeah, and I think you know again, Franklin. Thanks for that. Um, you know, Gordon on previous shows have also spoken about sustainability. You know, there's one thing saying you know you got volunteers and enthusiasm and passion, and and, and I think those are, are critical elements in any business. But coupled with that is is a really good skill set and a, set, a solid set of financials. You know, and a good business plan that goes with it. You know, so you know I looked at at some of the money's coming into your organisation, and uh, certainly long term, I don't think that's a sustainable model. So yeah, you know, Gordon. I mean, from your side. Uh, you know, I wish you well with that side. If you're going to work with Franklin, try to get a, a more sustainable community. And I know it's a big passion of yours, a community radio model. Absolutely. And, and I think coming back to the COVID-19, before we talk about the future, which is where we want, you, we want to go on this discussion, um, you know, it, it just became apparent to me as I watched government trying to communicate with the nation um, and we all sat around on a national news channel waiting for 20 minutes before a person would pitch up and share the wisdom kind of thing. But you've got this incredible outreach platform in, in, the, in the form of community radio, which to my mind has been massively underutilized. Or, Franklin, ha- has there been a constructive utilization of the 
community radio footprint to address and, and speak to communities about COVID and the functional components of, of the response? I wouldn't say very effective, but I would say there were attempts. So you would find that the uh, Department of Health in provincial, in different provinces, have agreements with the provincial structure. So they would do ongoing uh, public service announcements and they would do um, paid for content, um, you know, uh, on these stations just to to keep up the at the adv- I mean the edu- public education around around COVID and, and keeping safe. Um, and then also Department of Education in most of the provinces, what they've done, uh, public education, what they've done is to buy up airtime on these stations and started to use right, community radio to to um, to do uh, matric support and also other grades. So so there's been an ongoing effort by the Department of Basic Education to to provide that kind of support in local languages to learners within those communities. So that's very positive. And it's something that we want to t- take take into the future as well. And then there's there's been there's been discussions be, uh, uh, from parliament officially with community media to start uh, making this official link in terms of airtime that they want to purchase on the stations as a collective to to get out the kind of announcements and and messages that you're talking about, Gordon. So 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 yes, I think there's definitely positive developments there. I think um, the, the kind of challenges that we that we spoke about earlier is it's now the the perfect time to fix those uh, those guarantees that that's needed to be in place. Absolutely, and I mean you use the word collective there, which is which is crucial for me. And uh, one of the keys to sustainability must surely be. Uh, you know, looking at the collective power of the individual stations rather than treating them as firewalled instances. So, I mean, perhaps we should be starting by reviewing ECAS's kind of uh, interpretation of the community market and and the limitations it places on on that market. And also, you know, from a collective point of view, if we're looking at, uh, I'm not, I was going to say synchronized, but not that's not the right word. Um, syndicated. Syndicated content. Thanks, Doc. Um, brain freeze yes. here. So, I mean, you know, does the ECASA legislation accommodate syndicated programming, which has got to be a way to maintain quality and, and affordability? Yes, but there are obviously caps on that. So so what, what the regulation states is that you are allowed to, get to syndicate up to a certain percentage of content. And they also provide the definition of that syndication, whether it's local content with it that can still fall under local content or not so so yes ICASA definitely in the instance of sustainability when you look at sustainability it's really a generic challenge throughout the world i mean i've been involved internationally gordon uh, within the world forum for community broadcasters amak um, and our offices moved now from from montreal to brussels and what we do is we have chapters within all the, uh, the continent and, and, and we do the same kind of work like NCRF advocacy and lobbying. So I've been um, treasurer for AMAC International for about six years and I, I, I resigned um, in 2016. But it was really, I think, opportunity here for us to look at best practice models when you speak about collective and when you start looking at audience and how public education from a from a development perspective can be can be viewed there's quite a few best practice models um throughout asia pacific and um south america there's 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 opportunities even from europe for for us uh, as south africa to learn from 
So, so yes, and, and I think the kind of things that you're talking about, Doc, when you look at the market and you ask, you know, what is it that the community radio sector offers, is that we offer a, a loyalty component that commercial stations dream of. You know, if you just look at the audience of Josie and how loyal, I mean, Josie had a, a fun walk and they had, what, 15 to 15,000? Yes, 15,000 participants in the fun walk in Sawin, uh, inspired Josie, and they just used their station. And, and, and so there's, 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 there's quite a lot of best practice uh, that, that, one can, that one can pick up, even in South Africa. Uh, I'm going to talk about Josie again. They, what they do is that they would get involved in the community, so they care. So they make sure that they have a program of action to show that care. So what they've done is uh, when there's, uh, you know, uh, informal settlements that burn down or houses, they go in there and they use their network in terms of the the uh, the businesses within Soweto, and they muster the support to rebuild those houses. And, and I've got, you know, they just handed over a house that they rebuilt last last week. And that's the kind of work that we want to 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 see happening more and more. But it cannot just be. Josie's not an island, so they collaborate, and that's where the social impact component comes in. So community radio is really providing a. Now, if you look at where the world is moving in terms of more closer communities, you know, redefining, you know, the standards in terms of the solidarity versus um, versus culture, all of those things, you really start feeling them. They become real within a community radio station. Franklin, just before I fire the last question at you, I mean, you've mentioned a lot of acronyms there, NCRF and then your, your global body. In terms of a one, if, if this show has resonated with one of our listeners, what's the best way to get hold of you um, in, in your various guises? Well, I think email info at comradio. So it's info at comradio.co.za. That's my email address. Um, and then um, I've got a Twitter handle at comradio5 um, is my Twitter handle. Um, so if people want to get get hold of me, that, that that's the most easiest way. So at com at comradio five, and they can direct message you there. Now, just the final thought, here, because it's something that really resonated with me, um, was your your commitment to what you are calling universal accessible um, studios, so that people with motor uh, you know impairment or, or visual and even hearing impaired people can get involved in community radio. I'm, I'm trying desperately to understand how that plays out. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to try to be very brief, um, Doc, is that when you look at a community, you know, it's a, it's a, it's really a, a cultural pot of all people within communities that all, all have the right, you know, to, to, to receive services. And so what Com Radio did is to look at universal um, accessibility, and there's a, quite a few guidelines on the you know United Nations pages around that. So, so we've used that, and then we've looked at the South African context. So, the, I think it's the Department of Arts and Culture, or something that has developed a guideline in terms of what buildings should look like if access. So, we've used that in terms of our design thinking and process of uh, community radio studios. So we're happy to to be launching our first one this year. Uh, with COVID, our plans was just a bit delayed. We hope we can still do it around September this year. 
So that will be in Springbok Radio NFM. They will have the first universal accessible radio station. What does that entail, Gordon? It's really looking at the technologies available. So we're looking at how does hearing impaired people use computers and how can they bring that into a studio context and how can we make it easier for them to be able to engage um, you know a, a hearing audience so that we are bringing in in terms of the equipment and the softwares as well as uh, the visual impaired is the same the same concept there and then with the uh, motor motor impaired that's people you know moving with aid or uh, in wheelchairs so we're looking at the design standards there in terms of space accessibility and so we we really excited it even go as far as the you know the alarm the fire alarm systems and 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 that uh, safety uh, regulations within the building in terms of how you need to adapt to be able to to comply well that's fantastic and i think that's a very positive way to to perhaps end it i see the docs already got his cycling shorts off so he's, <laughs> he's gonna try and join you on the bicycle fairly shortly and uh, to our listeners out there, thank you again for joining us. If you have any questions, you've got the contact details for Franklin or get hold of us on our various social media platforms. Facebook is probably the easiest one to, to tap into us with any questions that you might have and any other issues we'd like to, to raise around this topic. We'll also, Franklin, while we've got you there, just uh, let us know when, you happen, uh, when it happens with Springbok. And uh, I think that's a good place to revisit uh, the application of what we've talked about today. So thanks for your time, everyone. Doc, we will see you next week. Yeah, thanks, Gordon. And thanks, Franklin. Thanks. That was, that was a great, uh, insightful chat into Community Radio. So I wish you well with that. Uh, and yeah, thanks again, Gordon. Um, I'll catch you next week. And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond. And hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the Guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.